This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earnin today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 150 with Renee Meddy. Show notes for this episode can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 150. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day, because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. Renee Meddy is a shameless mom to three kids ages 7, 9, and 11, and is the founder and CEO of With Paws. She believes that one's greatest asset is the quality of attention you bring to every aspect of your experience. Through speaking, workshops, and training, With Pause boosts your ability to develop richer connections, manage stress, collaborate effectively, and renew your mental clarity. Renee works with businesses and schools who are seeking clarity, calm, and a more meaningful life. Her approach cultivates mindfulness balanced with compassion while cultivating presence. Renee is also a certified body language trainer, allowing her to further support people through their mindfulness practices, daily habits, and communication patterns. This interview was fascinating to me. Renee identifies herself as a type A personality just like me, but you'll notice that she's slow and kind of quiet and careful with her words, totally the opposite of me. And she talks about how she trained herself to slow down and how to live calmly even in the midst of chaos. If you're type A, you're going to really love this interview. If you're someone who likes to control things and who tends to live racing at the speed of light at all times, this episode is for you. I found that what really drew me into this episode was Renee talking about her silent retreats that she's attended. I find them to sound completely terrifying, but also super, super intriguing. So this episode just 
I learned so much and it really made me question some of my practices and maybe that I do need to be more mindful and slow down. Even though I feel like I have really good habits to support my mental health and my sanity, maybe I could slow down a little. I mean, I could at least maybe slow my words down a little. So listen in to hear Renee share the power of living in perpetual discovery, what it feels like when you cut your speed in half and slow down your life and her experience doing this through multi-day silent retreats, why mindfulness cannot be practiced without compassion, three micro practices you can start doing today to become more mindful, the difference between gratitude and appreciation, and the power of nonverbal communication. Spoiler alert, nonverbal communication is 13 more times more powerful than verbal communication which I thought was pretty fascinating and was definitely a little eye-opening for me. So this is a great episode. I learned so much from Renee and I really, really enjoyed everything she had to say. I know you're going to learn a lot. So let's go ahead and dive in with Renee Medi. Renee Medi, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. I feel like we have a lot to cover in the next hour. And I know you even said when you got the questions, you're like, wow, we could talk about this for a week. So (laughs) with that, let's go ahead and dive in and tell us a little bit about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio. What are you most excited about right now? Oh, my goodness. Um, So much. I feel like so much is happening right now with me. I'm in this perpetual loop of self-discovery and... I'm just really appreciating the opportunities that I'm having, especially before children. I tended to keep my professional and personal life kind of separate. And more recently, I've just had this intersection of my professional life is my personal life and my personal life is my professional life. And partially because I'm an entrepreneur and run my own business and I love what I do. And so my work doesn't feel like work. It feels a lot more like play, and I just get really excited about different things that I get to do. But most recently, I've just been embracing me more, which I definitely am realizing that I did not used to do. I was trying to be a version of myself that I thought I was supposed to be. And so my latest, and I mean really recent, like in the past month, my latest kind of mantra is living life boldly. I love it. I love that. You've already touched on multiple things that I want to dig a little deeper into. (laughs) I love the concept and the exact phrase of being in perpetual discovery. I think that's so awesome. And I totally agree that when you get into that mode and you let your work take you there, I put work in quotes, that that intersection of personal and professional life becomes more than you can untangle and you can't divide them out. And I find this on social media where I'm like, wait, do I post this on my personal page or my business page? Because it goes both places. (laughs) Right, exactly. And I love that. And I think that that's such a great indicator that you're doing the thing you should be doing because you're probably doing something you could talk about every day for the rest of your life. And that's when you know you've found the thing. Absolutely, for sure. That's so great. So tell us a little bit about how you got into working specifically in mindfulness and creating a business out of that. Yeah. So I have a very, very professional life doing various things from business to being a wedding planner to founding a preschool. And so the mindfulness journey really came after the crash in 2008 or so the real estate and financial crash. And 
I had a lot of close family and friends that were going through some depression and anxiety. And I started my preschool in 2010. And I had an in-home daycare prior to that. And I thought, you know, I have these children that are so open and curious. And what can I provide for them that would help them in their adult life that would help them manage that baggage a little better? And so I came across mindfulness probably through a Google search. So it really started as mindfulness curriculum for my preschoolers. Fast forward a year or so and implementing this curriculum and taking a couple mindfulness classes, like how to bring mindfulness to children, I came across a certification program through Mindful Schools. And the certification program was a year-long program that was mostly online, but there were two weeks that needed to be in person. And the first week was kicked off the year, and the second week was at the end of the year. And so part of that week was a two-and-a-half-day silent retreat. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So... I mean, the idea behind mindfulness and when you're bringing it to children is that the adult really needs to have a practice themselves before they can bring it to anybody else because it's very experiential. You really have to have that practice, especially when you're bringing it to adults or even teens or older children, because you don't know what's going to come up. And there's this idea that mindfulness or perception that it's calming and that is definitely can be a byproduct of it, but that is not kind of the goal of mindfulness. Mindfulness is really about being okay with whatever is happening in that moment. And so I was very type A perfectionist kind of personality, like moving at a speed that I actually prided myself on, that I could accomplish so much and be a mom of three and run a business and do all these things. And so I enter this retreat And it took, you know, a couple of days to kind of settle in. My practice prior to the retreat was very spotty, was not very consistent. And so this is when I really consider myself as developing or really having a solid practice was this retreat. And I came out of that two and a half days transformed. Was the practice like meditation practice? Yeah, bringing stillness. There's lots of types of meditation. I at the time was using mostly a secular practice of mindfulness meditation where a lot was bringing attention to your breathing. And so a lot of focus and concentration practice at the time, but there's the formal practice of, you know, sitting, which is meditation. And then there's the micro practices that I can share a little bit about later where you're just bringing an awareness to whatever it is you're doing, whether it's brushing your teeth or eating or walking or driving. Cause so often we're, off in another land, right? Or our automatic pilot is just kicking in. Like we're driving from point A to point B and don't even realize how we got there because it's something we do every day. And so there's an interesting thing that happens to your nervous system when you really just strip away all distractions. And so in the silent retreat, we were really encouraged and invited to not try not to look at other people, like really go inward, no reading, no writing. And then it's just a half hour of sitting, mindfulness meditation, and then walking. So 30 minutes of sitting, 30 minutes of walking, alternating every half hour or so from 7am to 9pm at night. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Were you scared going into that? You know, I was excited and I didn't really know what to expect. And I would say the second retreat is almost more scary because okay. you know because you know 
Yeah. <laughs> I've had friends tell me, and I can't remember how long it was. One of my friends, I want to say she maybe did like a five-day meditation retreat. Mm-hmm. And she talked about how physically painful it got just yes. for yes. long periods of sitting. So I can imagine getting through that once, but then the fear and anticipation of doing it a second time because you would know exactly where the uncomfortable exactly. things are. Yeah. I just did a 10-day, well, not just, in September I did a 10-day wow. and that talk about physical pain that was just you really are able to examine the nature of your mind and where your mind goes when you're met with uncomfortable situations oh my gosh yeah so that really was the beginning where after two and a half days I cut my speed in half and I never went back to that speed again and just slowly over time and through my practice just constantly transforming I feel like so when you say cut your speed in half, explain a little bit more about that. I think I know what you mean, but go ahead and explain to us. Yeah, physically and mentally. So okay. your nervous system settles and they used a metaphor during that retreat where your system kind of feels like you're walking through molasses. Okay. So it's just kind of really like everything around you slows down. I mean, everybody has a different experience. So my experience was that everything around me slowed down. And I realized, especially as a mom of three working from home, that I never walked anywhere. And I was Mm -hmm. trying to cram so much into a day. And cramming stuff into a day really was more about how successful am I? Because the more I can cram in, the more successful I felt. And then societally, people around me would kind of just help support that idea of success because I would hear things like, Oh my gosh, how do you do it all? That's so amazing. You're, you know, super mom and all this stuff. Right. And it's like, it's all made up. It's yeah, not true. Totally. Right. And I'm a person that can really manage my stress pretty well and can hold a lot on my plate, but that doesn't mean that's quality. Right. 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 And so what I did was, so pre-retreat, something that would happen often is I would go to pick up my children from school, let's say, and I had 15 minutes before pickup. So I'm like, oh, I can go run an errand. And I'd go run an errand. You were totally speaking my language. Right? I'm always late to pick up my child because I'm like, I can do one more thing. One more thing. And inevitably that would make me late and then I'm rushing. Right? And then I get a speeding ticket or I get into a minor fender bender or like, who knows? As I'm driving, my mind is all over the place. Yeah. And so after the retreat, it really came down to like a lot of time management and being able to prioritize. And as a perfectionist, to me, everything was a priority. As an right. entrepreneur running my own business, everything had to be done. Totally. Right? I was everything. I was the director. I was the teacher. I was the bookkeeper. I was the accountant. I was the <laughs> program right. manager, everything. And so... I realized that when I just focused on one thing at a time, I actually got more accomplished and I was more productive because I didn't have to redo things or I didn't have to, there was such a space of clarity that was like, until you experience it, it's really hard to explain, but it was almost like there was like a little bubble around me. Now that's not to say that I didn't have moments of being stressed or frantic, but I would catch myself and say, you know what? I need to just take a break or take a step back. What's really important right now? Right. So it really did come down to prioritizing and time management. 
How did you reintegrate after those two experiences? And then even after the one recently that you said you did in September, that was 10 days, how do you reintegrate after Mm -hmm. such a profound experience and such a solo experience? How do you go from that back into a household with three kids? Yeah, that's actually a thing. (laughs) Yeah, I would imagine that's really challenging. (laughs) We talk about Mm reentry and being really gentle with yourself for one. The... 10 day retreat actually after the 10 days they give you a day to just start talking within the people at your retreat and it's Mm -hmm. so funny because at the end of this 10 day one I was like oh I think I'm okay you know and so there's that anticipation of like oh after this morning sit you know we get to chat before lunch and so I go back to my room and I come out and there's a group of like six women standing outside my door and so I'm excited to go talk to them because a couple of them you get a little bit of time just like a couple hours before the retreat starts to meet people okay but through those 10 days most of the people you have no idea about right Mm -hmm. and so there were a couple women there that I had talked to before we went into silence and I go to open my mouth and I just start bawling (laughs) (gasps) and so for me what re-entry looks like is super sensitive okay everything whether that's like for me, it's not mostly being upset by things easily. It's just appreciating the beauty of life, appreciating the quality of the people around me, my children, my husband. And even after leaving the retreat, heading home, because it was about a two-hour drive, I called my husband and I just start crying on the phone. And I'm so <laughs> grateful for like him and what he does for our family and our children. And so it's a few days of just really raw sensitivity for me. I bet. I bet yeah. that makes sense. And your husband was probably, I mean, that probably wasn't shocking to him. He probably No, because he's, yeah, I've been on a lot of retreats, but at the same time, there's also, before this 10 day one, he really doesn't like me going on retreat because I can also come across a little short, <laughs> nappy when I get back. Yeah. And your awareness is so heightened. Yeah. So you have to balance that with a lot of compassion practice because okay. you start noticing things about other people and then ah. you just get like, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> Do I you get, get a little really bit of a superiority scared. complex. A, you can, you yeah. definitely can. And so that's something that I practice and work on. And I think a lot of people may have that experience. And yeah. so there's just mindfulness cannot be practiced without compassion because if you just have a bunch of aware people running around, you'll have a bunch of like righteous people running around. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Right. So totally. we have to remember like there's a common humanity here and that we all are looking to find joy and happiness in our life. Okay. That makes sense. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, It's very digestible. 
And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by Air Doctor. You probably don't know that Americans take in about 20,000 breaths per day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors. The indoor air that we breathe can be up to 100 times more polluted than outdoor air, according to the EPA. Indoor air pollutants can cause upper respiratory symptoms like sneezing, coughing, congestion, scratchy throat, and even more serious health problems like lung and heart disease. So what's the solution? Introducing Air Doctor, the air purifier that filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants so your lungs don't have to. This includes allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses. I am so excited that we just got our own Air Doctor for our house, and we will have it all up and running and ready to to go in time for all the things that come with spring weather, but also smoke season, which is just around the corner for those of us in the Pacific Northwest. And I know many of you across the country. So here's how you can get your own Air Doctor. First of all, Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use the promo code SHAMELESS and you'll receive up to $300 off of air purifiers. Exclusive to our podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock in this special offer by going to airdoctorpro, A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use the promo code SHAMELESS. That's airdoctorpro.com, code SHAMELESS. So tell us a little bit about mindfulness and parenting them, because you made such a great point that especially type A people, but I think any parent, like life moves at such a fast pace when Mm -hmm. you're parenting. And Mm -hmm. I have one child and I feel that way. And I mean, even last night, my husband asked me something about going out tomorrow night and I totally jumped all over him about like, well, I can't manage like booking the babysitter and booking a restaurant and this and that. <laughs> and I was laughing later in the evening because I was like, our stressors are minimal compared to other families, I'm sure. sure. But I'm just sometimes overwhelmed. And again, it's a type A personality thing, feeling very in charge of everything. Sure. So even with one child, I feel like life moves at such a fast pace. How do we manage mindfulness and practice mindfulness as parents when given that pacing? Yeah, absolutely. Practice, practice, practice. <laughs> Seriously, like your own practice for me is so important in my life. I have a lot of people that have asked me and more recently, like, are there any mommy and me classes, you know, which is great. And the intention is in a good, good space. But I always recommend that parents start with themselves first because you can't change anyone. Right. And when someone comes to me, it's like my toddler's having these tantrums and like, how do I fix that? Mindfulness isn't about fixing other people. Right, right. Right? It's about how are you going to respond in the moment when something challenging arises. Okay. And so when you practice yourself, you can create this space between what's happening in front of you, like your toddler throwing a tantrum in the grocery store, and 
you can be really objective. You can become more objective. And so typically for me, how my children behaved in public was a reflection of me and how I am as a parent. Right. Right. And I'm sure many mothers out there. So common, right? Judgment of how other people parent. And I've found that the more judgmental I am of other parents is because it's how insecure I am as a parent myself. Mm-hmm. And when my practice is really strong, I'm able to look at it as my child is having a tantrum without adding the story of that makes me a terrible mother. Right, right. right. Keep it totally neutralized. Neutral. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we all know this. All toddlers throw tantrums, <laughs> yes. right? And so it's practice. It's the adult practicing. And as with anything, it's really hard to enforce something on anyone. But mindfulness in particular, it's something that has to come from inside of someone wanting to do versus telling your children, like, you have to be more mindful or we need to meditate together or we need to do a class together. So that for me is with mindfulness and parenting. It's about how are we responding to all of the parenting challenges that we're facing on a day-to-day basis? And how can we make a different choice once we notice what our reactions are? Right. I would imagine that when you come home from being in silence for any length of time, (laughs) that if you aren't careful, you can slowly or maybe not slowly kind of ramp back up to where life was just because of the consistent stimulus of parenting. So this must be with a part where, like you said, you're just consistently really practicing, 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 keeping your habits in a place where you can stay kind of in the magical place, probably where that transformation happened in within a retreat. What does mindfulness practice look like for parents? And what are some specific examples that we could start to integrate if we're wanting to be more mindful? Sure. Yeah, I think, you know, a mindfulness practice really depends on the person, right? And it depends on your personality and it depends on what is driving you energetically. A mindfulness practice in general, for me, are intentional moments every day. And so whether that's someone that takes a class like a mindfulness-based stress reduction class, an MBSR class, which is like an eight-week class, it kind of begins teaching you the practice of mindfulness, or someone uses an app. I was someone that dove right in. I was really excited and was trying to learn as much as possible. And for some people, it's a much slower process. So a lot of times I'll suggest, especially if you're a little skeptical or you're just like, oh, I don't have time for this, one minute a day. And for me, the practice is more about daily than length of time, Okay. just because it's similar to fitness or exercise. And what you're building is your capacity to just kind of hold space for whatever challenges or joys that happen in your life. But it's like building a muscle. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to just whip your muscles out to lift a heavy box out of nowhere, right? You want to practice over time and more consistently so that when you're in a situation where you need to lift something heavy, you've got the strength to do that. Right. So it's very similar with your mind is that you want to build that mental muscle so that when things are like big emotions, difficult situations arise, that you have access to that part of your brain that will allow you to respond instead of that automatic pilot and that survival mechanism that is built into our limbic system. Right. 
And when you are looking at something like one minute a day, or let's say five minutes a day or 10 minutes a day, whatever the length of time is, are you looking at something? And I'm sure there's a variety of appropriate answers here, but like, I know I've used the Headspace app for meditation. So would I be looking <laughs> at something specifically for meditation or would it just be like a choice of like, you can meditate, you can walk, you can sit in silence. Like what are some of those kinds of examples? Oh, sure. So the way I can share my experience, the way I started was through taking a course that was helpful just to okay. understand what mindfulness was. Okay. And then I would do more formal practices, which looks like sitting quietly, bringing your attention to your breath, noticing when thoughts come into your head. Because for me, eventually it was a to-do list. Like, oh, I have to do this. I have to oh do that. Oh my gosh. It's so funny you would say that. Every time I practice meditation, I start making to-do lists in my head. And I'm like, yeah, you're supposed to turn your mind off. And I can stop myself from like obsessing about whatever's stressing me out in life, but I cannot stop myself from making to-do lists. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. So that is the perception that you're supposed to turn your mind off. Your mind will never be shut off. Okay. So mindfulness is really about noticing that you're making the to-do list okay. or noticing that you're stuck in a story about a fight that you just had or noticing, you know, like, ah, oh, the self, the inner critic that constantly comes up about ourselves. Right? right. And so in the beginning I would go off to my to-do list for like 10, 15 minutes and then be like, Oh, I'm supposed to be focusing on my breath. <laughs> So, I mean, there are several practices where you're sitting, you're bringing your attention to your breathing, you notice a thought, whatever it is, a to-do list or something you're upset about or happy about, and then you're like, oh, I'm kind of stuck in that thought. Let me bring my attention back to my breath. And then there's another practice of open awareness where you're just watching your awareness in your to-do list and you're like, oh, there's my to-do list. And you just kind of sit with that to-do list until something, a new thought comes and a great metaphor that was helpful for me was sitting on a riverbank. And so if you're sitting on the side of the bank and the water is flowing by, those are your thoughts. And sometimes we get stuck on a thought and it takes us down the river. But with practice, if you can just sit on the riverbank and watch the thoughts go by and just notice them, be like, oh, that's interesting. Or, oh, I should do that. And then come back to the bank or your breath. That's what a mindfulness practice looks like. And so that's more of like the formal meditative state of practice. And I found that some of the micro practices where you're just bringing in an intentional awareness to like, let's say brushing your teeth or eating, you can do that every day, but that becomes a lot easier when you have a more formal practice. So again, similar to exercising, if you are able to do some strength training or cardio more consistently, sure, you can go do a quick run you know, around the block or up the hill when you're running around with your children, but only because you've had the stronger three times a week, you know, two, three mile run. Right. right? And that so you're just building that capacity. Similar to the exercise analogy, you're able to more quickly probably get right back into it. Exactly. So because like you said, if you've practiced running three or four miles, then running up the hill is not a big deal. So like in your case, if you've done 10 days to do, you know, 15, 20 minutes a day is probably no big deal. Whereas someone starting out, like you said, one minute might be the appropriate starting point. Yes. And it really depends. I mean, sometimes 15 minutes is a big deal for me, okay. you know, and some days I don't want to practice or life gets in the way and it's just like, oh. And so recently, like in January, I committed to daily practice. So my intention is to sit at least 15, 20 minutes a day. 
and I like to do it in the morning because I feel like the day gets away. But if I sleep in or something happens in the morning and I don't sit, then I make sure that even if I only have two minutes or five minutes, my focus is on the daily. So bringing an intentional awareness and stillness into my life every day, whether it's one minute or 30 minutes, for me is just to get in that habit of daily practice. Hey, mamas, I just wanted to pop in and take a quick break from the show to let you know you can find new ways to connect with me outside of this show if you go to shamelessmom.com and click on the work with me link at the top of the page. So I've added a whole work with me page to the website because I've been getting a lot of requests on working with me for coaching and working with me in my mastermind group. So if you're wanting to connect with the Shameless Mom Academy and wanting to work with me on a deeper level, please do pop over to shamelessmom.com and you can click on the work with me link at the top of the page and get more information for different ways that we can work together. I would love to be a part of your process your life, your transition, your journey. And I just want to make sure that you all know that those options are right over there on the website at shamelessmom.com. All right, let's hop back to the show with Renee. I love that. And I think that the same holds true for exercise. And I know in our email exchange, I mentioned to you about having a gym in the Seattle area. And something that I recommend to people when they're first starting out is moving every day. That doesn't mean that you need to come to the gym every day, but having some sort of movement every day, because I think what happens is, first of all, there's the idea of practicing so that every day becomes just this more and more non-negotiable thing where you're just like, oh, this is what I do every day. But I think that there's also a piece of it where your self-identity shifts and you're like, you know, I always use the example of like, I am Sarah, I work out six days a week. And so for me, that's just something I adopted in my early 20s when I started exercising. And it's really stuck with me that like, this is just a part of who I am. But if I had said like, if I had started out, and again, being a type A person makes this easier for me probably, but if I had started out exercising three days a week, then every day is the negotiation of like, well, do I do it today? Do I not do it today? And probably 20 years later, which is how long it's now been that I've been exercising, I would probably still be negotiating and it would be like one week of three days a week and then, you know, maybe two weeks of nothing. Nothing. So I just... I've always really felt like it needs to be something that happens pretty much every single day, even though one day it might be 10 minutes and another day it might be an hour or one day it might be a walk and the other day it might be like, you know, hill sprints. So it can look so different from day to day, but just incorporating it into your sense of identity, I think makes a really big difference. And then it really becomes a part of who you are and it really becomes ingrained in you. So it doesn't become a negotiable thing. You're just constantly recognizing the benefits rather than trying to like fit it in and squeeze it in and feeling like it's this burdensome part of your schedule. Yeah. And for me, I mean, similar to, you know, those of us that have had newborns and hearing that saying sleep begets sleep. Yeah. I feel like the practice begets practice, at least for me, that the more I practice, the more I want to practice. Because if it becomes drudgery, John Kabat-Zinn is the person that kind of is who people look to. And he brought these practices to the U.S. But he said, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. Like, that kind of defeats the purpose. Like it really needs to bubble up from inside. And you know yourself, or most of us know ourselves well enough that maybe you have to push through that uncomfortableness or that difficulty to make it more of a habit. Mm -hmm. But we are really looking at trying to change mental habits. But if it's pure drudgery, find something else. Yeah, you know, yeah, Um, I totally agree. And it's funny with the exercise piece, I've had women in my boot camp who have like it's so clearly drudgery to them. And there's been people where I've said, I think you need to do something else. Like 
I don't want this to be like your exercise should not be the worst part of your day. You're picking the wrong way to exercise if it's the worst part of your day every day. (laughs) So I'm like, go find something else. I actually had a client who I did personal training with for years. And she, at some point in our personal training, we were training like three or four days a week together. She was a client I saw very, very regularly. And at one point she started taking dance class and she was taking it one day a week and like obsessed with it. She just loved it so much. And then she was like, I think I might start doing two days a week and I might back off on our sessions a little bit. And at this point, we'd been doing like three years of training together and it it was getting to be a bit much. I was feeling like we were getting a little codependent. So (laughs) I was like, by all means, do the dance class. Well, over time, she ended up taking up, she was dancing like four or five days a week. We finally, I was like, I don't think you should be doing personal training anymore. Like you're not getting the benefits you were looking for in training. You're getting from dance. Go do dance. (laughs) So I think you really have to look at the things that are going to bring the most significant value to your life. And you'll know when you found those things. Again, like you said, that you know it might come with a little bit of pain and discomfort especially initially but I think that once you find something there is a feeling of like yes this is the thing that I need yeah and that doesn't mean that it's not difficult some days right right you know for me to sit of course it is and of course I get upset and of course I experience the full range of emotions as much as I can but there's a desire Mm -hmm. a deep desire to continue with the practice right that makes sense yeah That totally makes sense. I know on your website, you talk about micro practices and you actually have a free giveaway on your website with referring to micro practices. Can you give us a few micro practices for mindfulness practices Um, that you can share here? Um, And then I know people can get more if they want to head over to your website and we'll give that information at the end of the interview. But what are a few that you would recommend? Yeah. So one that I love to share with people is when you wake up in the morning, I know for me, my alarm would go off and I'd snooze many, many, many times. <laughs> and finally, that last one's like, you jump out of bed and you're like, oh, I got to go. I'm late. Or sometimes you just jump out of bed right when the alarm goes off and you just rush right into your day. And so one practice you can do is just when you wake up, just pause and take three breaths before you get out of bed. And so it's just really being intentional about starting your day instead of jumping up and diving right in. Another one is mealtime, is find whether it's your first sip of coffee or breakfast or lunch or dinner. On retreat, one of the instructions was to put your fork down after each bite. I love that. Right? (laughs) I actually talked with people, I talk with my weight loss clients about this very frequently. (laughs) I'm like, what and it's that? a huge no. challenge. Like most people are, it's it's really really hard to remind yourself to do that. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was like, first of all, I have to sit down and eat, and second, <laughs> right. I'll stop shoveling food into my mouth, right? right? right. <laughs> and stop doing something else while I'm eating. So yeah. that was really challenging for me. And so, you know, on retreat, it's the entire meal that you're trying to do in that way. But when I begin with people, it's like, just find one meal a day or one, you know, coffee's your big thing or a smoothie and really take that first sip or that first bite and just be totally aware of what you're eating. Even look at your food and think about all the people involved, you know, for that tomato on your plate, you know, from the growers to the pickers, to how it got to the store, to the gas attendant, you know, filling the gas tank of the people driving the truck, bringing it to the stores and the person that is at the cashier when you're buying the tomatoes, all of those things. And just bring some awareness to that and then take your first bite and 
just chew slowly and really like taste the flavor. Think about the color and the texture and then wait until you completely swallow that first bite before you pick your fork up again. Which is hard. And you'll notice, because I've done this, you'll notice that most people are like preloaders. So you're like, as you're chewing one bite, you're totally loading up the next bite. Oh, totally. (laughs) And the second load is in my mouth before I even swallowed the first one. Yes. That's when I noticed on retreat. I was like, oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. It makes you feel extremely, (laughs) like you have lived an extremely gluttonous life. (laughs) Yeah. Like I have just been shoving food in my face for 41 and a half years. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. And with the mindfulness practice, you really are getting down to like sensations in your body versus thoughts in your head. And so you'll notice these sensations, like this impulse to want to pick your fork up before you've actually swallowed or that impulse to preload. Right. And so the practice really helps with just beginning to notice those things. Do you notice when you're on retreats then that it takes you way, way longer to eat? Oh, yeah. Or I don't eat as much. (laughs) Yeah. Right. It's really fascinating. And especially for moms, because we often are eating in chaos. And it's like the only opportunity we have to eat is in the middle of chaos. So it's like if you don't do it, then, you know, in the middle of this trying to feed other people at the same time, it just isn't going to happen. Right. Um, But I would imagine it just like your the length of your meal was probably quadrupled when you're sitting without distraction and putting your fork down in between each bite. Well, it's so funny because after that first retreat, I told you the two and a half days and mm-hmm. it was an eight day retreat with workshops in between. So okay. it was two and a half days of silence and then we were okay. in and out of silence okay. for the rest of those days. And then my family picked me up because I was in California. So they drove down from Seattle oh, wow. to the Bay Area and then picked me up and then we continued down the coast. And so we were in Petaluma for lunch right when they picked me up and I had ordered like a burger and fries or whatever. And we go and we sit down and I'm always the first one done eating. <laughs> My plate is cleared, you know, and we're sitting there. And I told you, I kept my pace right after that retreat. Like I really was trying hard not to go back to my old ways. <laughs> and so my husband was like, I was only half done my burger. And he's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, he's like, we have to go. <laughs> it's like talking to your child where you're like, you have two minutes left and then it's going yeah. in the garbage. <laughs> Pretty much. And so for me, I'm like, well, I can either just take my time and eat the rest of this, but I wasn't even really hungry for the other half. Wow. So I just took it with me. But I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't slowed down enough yeah. to actually eat, chew and swallow my food. Wow. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. So you learn a lot through food too, because there's so much attached to that mm-hmm. in terms of like greed and shame. And so with practice, all these different nuances can arise for people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Any other micro practices? Did you have more than those two? Yeah. Another one is just at night before going to bed. I'm a huge believer in appreciation and gratitude and the importance of that in our own joy in our life. And so at the end of the day, when you're going to bed at night, most of us probably crash and fall asleep or fall asleep on the couch. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But Just taking a moment, you know, 10 seconds and just, again, bringing awareness to your breathing, noticing the quality of your breath, maybe taking three breaths and just naming something that you appreciated from the day. I used to say, you know, gratitude or grateful, but I am really focusing more on appreciation now because gratitude, there's a big difference. And a lot of times we interchange those words as the same. Gratitude 
comes from kind of a more external thing, you know, like camping for three days without a shower. And then you're like, oh, I'm so grateful for my hot shower when I get home. Where appreciation is really looking at what's right in front of you and just appreciating what's there without having to change anything or without, it's not as much as a reward for something. It's just like, oh, it's raining right now, right? And appreciating the rain and what it does for our earth. I appreciate that explanation. That's yeah. really interesting. And you're right. And I've never considered the difference. Yeah, there's a, the language two. for me is so huge because there yes. are such little nuances and we don't think about what we say. Right, right. How we say things. And we use a lot of words interchangeably. Right. But language can play such a big part in how our life plays out too. Yeah, yeah. Words matter. And this is something I talk a lot with people about because the words that we choose impact our mindset so much. So Yeah, especially with parenting too, Mm -hmm. you know, preschool, a big part of our curriculum has more to do with our facilitators and the language that they're using with the children. Yeah. Right. And a big one for us is like, how can I instead of I can't? Yes. I you say that, that when my son says, I can't, which is frequent because he's four, he'll say, I can't do it. And I'll say, no, we will say, I will try. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We're and like, I'm usually saying that very impatiently to him. No, Vinny, I will try. <laughs> he's like, okay. Or it's like, if and after, right? You can have the ice cream if you eat your vegetables, or you can have ice cream after you eat your vegetables. Uh, One's conditional and one yes, isn't. Yes. Yes. Totally. Oh, that's another good. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Very good. So let's switch gears a little bit now to kids then. And how can we help kids be more mindful, which seems daunting given that it takes you like many days of silence to be mindful. Absolutely. Yeah. It's modeling. Okay. It really is. I know. I mean, there are things that children can do. And a lot of times children more recently have been getting it in their classroom, which is great for at home practices. My biggest recommendation is have them watch you practice or see you practice. And so when I came back from that retreat, I would sit in the morning and sometimes my children would be up early or not, depending on when I was sitting. But I told them ahead of time, if you see me sitting and I always had my phone out just for the timer, that you can come into the room, you can sit on my lap, you can practice with me and sit with me for as long as you want. And so if they came in for a minute, that was fine. Then the only guideline was that they couldn't ask me questions or talk to me and they had to try and stay as still as possible. And so when you start modeling it versus telling them how to be, it's much more powerful. And so I had a situation recently where, so my kids now are seven, nine, and 11. And my nine and 11 year old, three years ago, I had brought the mindful schools curriculum into their classroom. So they got a little bit of it, but I've never told my children that they had to practice. We will have periods of time where it's just quiet time in the house from like 7 to 7.30. And so they can read or color or sit, meditate. But my seven-year-old recently was familiar with one of the apps, Stop, Breathe, Think, which is a great app because it taps into your different emotions. Like, how are you feeling mentally and emotionally and physically? And it gives you options and you just push the words on the iPad, and then it creates like a three to five minute meditation for you. And is this an app specifically for kids? It's for kids, but I love it. And what is it called again? I'll make sure I link to it in our show notes. Yeah, it's a stop, breathe, think. Okay. And now my daughter has never had any formal, I've never taught her anything. I've never told her she should sit. I'll talk to them about how it helps me, but not often, you know. 
and they've seen me sit and they know I go on retreat. And I walked into the room and she was sitting there meditating and she had the app in front of her and she had the headset in. And so, of course, I had to snap a picture and post it. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Perfect <laughs> photo op. Yeah. And so I can't remember the exact words, but I said, oh, you know, what's going on when she was done? And she said, I'm feeling lazy, bored, angry, and something else. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh. And I said, well, does that help? And she was like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, but she knew or wanted had a desire to do that on her own right and that was I've that's huge I've never been in her classroom and, and that is strictly from modeling yeah 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 I think even if they can't fully connect everything right now the the value of that down the road is so powerful it is it's you know and it's like those things there's so many things as a parent that you're like I want my child to have this value or learn mm. this right and then we're very explicit on teaching good manners or whatever it is but what are the things that you see often that they pick up? It's the things that you're doing that you didn't actually teach. They're picking up your bad habits, right? Because you're modeling it. Right. And you're like, I didn't teach them that. Like, you're trying to teach them everything the opposite of what you do. Right. Yet they're still picking up on things. And right. so the nonverbal speaks much louder than the words that we say. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. This episode is supported by Nutrafol. Did you know that hair thinning will happen to approximately one in two women? If you're among them, you are not alone. Thinning hair is normal, but it's not openly talked about, so it can feel lonely and frustrating and sometimes even embarrassing when you're going through it yourself. Join the over one million people who are doing something about their thinning hair with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. Oh my gosh, I am a heavy shedder. So if you are a heavy shedder or if you are someone who's wanting to thicken your hair, I definitely want you to try out Nutrafol. I have loved using it myself and I know multiple other people who've used it and have found great results. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplement for six months. To get started, you can take their hair quiz on Nutrafol.com, which will give you a personalized health plan based on your special root causes. Nutrafol is committed to helping you identify root causes of any shedding or hair loss so that you can really start to rebuild healthy hair in a way that is customized to you. So take the first steps to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code SHAMELESS. Find out why 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Go to Nutrafol.com. That's N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code SHAMELESS. Nutrafol.com, code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, 
which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listener can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. Speaking of nonverbal, you keep like doing such a great job of segueing, helping me segue right to the next question. So I want to switch gears a little bit, and this is switching gears into nonverbal communication. And I know you also do a lot of body work or a lot of work with body language. So tell us a yeah. little bit about that and the kind of work that you do. And I'm assuming did this come from your practice in mindfulness? It kind of did because with working with a lot of teachers, I've always talked about, and maybe not in the words of body language, but that when you come into a classroom, because when we train our facilitators, we talk a lot about like, if you're going to come to me at the end of the day and be like, Oh, my class was horrible. My question to you then is, you know, what was your attitude during the day? Or what was your mood when you walked into the classroom? Because children especially are very intuitive and, or can attune to kind of what your energy is, or even as a parent, like when you're in a bad mood, the children pick up on that. And then they're, you know, not listening, or they're just feeding off of our energy, right? But that also has a lot to do with the more tangible, which is our body language. Mm -hmm. And so I was already doing a lot of nonverbal communication in my workshops with educators or business leaders. And I came across like as a body language trainer. And I was so fascinated by it that I got certified to become a body language trainer. And I threw that course, I just really saw the intersection of mindfulness and also really realized like it's a much more tangible way, especially for people that are a little more skeptical about mindfulness, that it's a much more tangible way to see how that awareness can really impact your life. And it really is supportive of this idea of beauty comes from within Mm. and that whatever we're feeling inside is showing outwardly. Right. Definitely. So with that, then what do you see parents do that we probably have no awareness? of? <laughs> Are there things that you recommend for parent, like body language and parenting things that we should be watching out for, or maybe work on changing? Yeah, there's a few things and blocking behavior is a big one. So like how you're holding your body, even when you're, trying to have a conversation with them or just hanging out with them. Like if they're telling you about something that you have, you know, I have a seven, nine and 11 year old and Minecraft is big and Pokemon is big right now. (laughs) 
my interest level on that is not very high on that. Oh, that's me and Star Wars, which my son is just getting into. And yeah. I'm like, please, can we not do Star Wars? So you may be saying something, and this is a big part of body language, is that what you're saying and what your body is saying need to be congruent. And so it's like when you're in a situation where someone says like, oh, that dress looks great on you, but you're kind of like, that either didn't seem authentic or you're like, they're lying. <laughs> it's, you know, it's not necessarily that you're making it up in your head. It's that there's something that happened in their facial expression or their body language that conveyed that idea to you. Because the nonverbal is like 12 to 13 more times more powerful than the words that we say. Wow. So when you're with your children, just recognizing like how you're sitting, are you crossing your arms and you're like, mm -hmm. are you showing the body language of like, hurry up, I have other things to do. Yeah. Or even just smiling. Smiling is something you can see like 300 feet away. And, and you can so, hear it. You can hear. I notice this when I record and I yes. can totally hear if I'm smiling and talking or if I'm like super tired and not smiling. I'm like, oh, and I sound exhausted and cranky. Like I don't want to be here. Absolutely. And children pick up on that. Yeah. And so just being, you know, I mean, this is part of my big transformation over the past couple of years is just being really authentic with like who you are. And so you don't want to be fake about enjoying it, but just start recognizing like what message am I sending across to my children when I'm having these conversations or when they're trying to tell me something, you know, like I am on my phone when I'm with my children, especially in the summer, but I try really hard when they talk to me to give them eye contact and either say, let me finish this up and then I'll be right with you or put the phone down, give them eye contact when they're asking me a question or even if it's like, Hey mom, can I go outside? Mm -hmm. I make sure I give them eye contact and say yes or no or whatever okay. the response is. And I think that's so important because what you're telling them is, first of all, eye contact releases oxytocin, which is that like cuddle yeah. hormone, the love hormone, and makes people feel good when you give them eye contact. And I feel like that's been lost, you know, with our technology these days. And so if you can give your children eye contact, we're all busy, right? But if you give them eye contact, it's releasing oxytocin and they matter, right? So because right. it starts... I mean, as a parent, you don't want to think too much about it because it becomes daunting, but we're helping shape their identity right. and who they think they are. And they can change who they are, you know, over the course of the years and transform themselves. But part of that foundation is like, you matter. And if I'm looking at my phone and every time you're talking to me and I'm like doing something else, that's sending a message that you don't matter as much as whatever the thing in front of me is. So... Right. That makes so much sense. Yeah. I appreciate that you didn't say we just need to all put our phones down and or not ever have our phones out around our kids. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's reasonable. I mean, I feel like not. my husband and I've argued about phone use in front of our son and stuff. And I'm like, sometimes I'm just like checking the weather. I'm not like on Facebook all the time. Sometimes yeah. I am on Facebook, but sometimes I'm using yeah. the phone to like set a timer or check the weather or like do something that's serving the family. Exactly. So it's not about I try to not demonize the phone, but try to be aware of like, what are the uses and how is that exactly. impacting the family? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I tried, I've tried like, okay, I'm not doing, especially when I started working more, I'm like, okay, as soon as I get the kids, the phone goes away and it doesn't come out until I go to bed at night and it's hard. Yeah. And I saw this movie and it was so great because it was, I can't remember what it was called, but it was this older couple 
that kind of connected with this younger couple, like someone in their 40s, and then they were hanging out with this 20-year-old something couple. And this is so true. Like, often we're in conversation with someone like, oh, you need to go check out this great restaurant. And then someone inevitably is like, oh, let me look it up on my phone. I'll tell you exactly where it is, right? right? And so there was this scene where they were talking about something and someone wanted to pull out their phone to see where the restaurant was or what the book was or trip or whatever it was. And the young kid says, let's just not know. <laughs> we don't, we don't need to read all the reviews and see all the photos before we go there. And I can't tell you how much that impacted me. I'm like, oh my gosh, like 20 yeah. years ago, we didn't have a phone to right. look stuff right. up. And not even 20 years ago, 10, you know, whatever it yeah. was yeah. before the iPhone came out. But yeah, I'm like, let, so sometimes my husband and I are like, let's just not know. <laughs> yeah, know? And that's it's powerful. a good reminder, right? But I think it is important to detox, you know, mm. we've talked about it, and we haven't done it, but like every Saturday and just not use our phones, like, especially mm. if we're together, let's meander on a drive or like not use Google Maps or Waze yeah. or whatever, you know, and so I think it's important to just become aware of our usage and then see ways where we can kind of play around with it. Right. And play is a big thing. Like play with it. Like don't beat yourself up over it. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. We were in New Mexico last week. We were driving back from Red River back to the Santa Fe area and we were on our way to the airport and we were going to stop and get lunch. And my husband said, I want to get really good Mexican food. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll Google best Mexican right. food in Santa Fe. And he goes, or we could stop and ask someone. And I was like, what? what? Why would we waste our time? So I immediately like, we're strange. Right. And I'm like, I get on Yelp and I'm reading reviews and like looking at pictures. I'm like, well, this place looks great. And he's like, we could also ask a local. I'm like, why would we ask? I mean, that's just going to take more time. We have to park the car. <laughs> <laughs> so I love it. we ended up finding a great place via Google, but it was interesting that that was his response. Cause I was like, are we in 1985? Like, why would we pull yeah. over for this? But it's exactly what you're saying is that you would probably have a different outcome that would maybe be like more playful, more adventurous, more fun. More... Well, and you might meet someone really cool. Yeah. 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 I mean, it would totally change. Right too. Yeah. yeah. It was an eye opening exchange. And then to have you follow up a few days later and say this, I'm like, okay, <laughs> next time we'll stop and ask someone. Maybe it's a message I should hear. <laughs> right, right. Well, Renee, this has been so helpful and this is fascinating. And you're right, we could talk about this for a week about all yeah. these things. Is there anything else before we wrap that you want to share with us regarding body language or regarding mindfulness? And then we'll get down to our shameless mommy minute momentarily. Uh, what could I share about? I think just having an awareness and balancing it with compassion. We're so, especially as parents or moms, we're so self critical. And what I love for everyone is just to have a little more compassion for themselves and for other people yeah. around them. I love that. And I love that you've brought up compassion a few times. And I think that piece is so important, especially when you're trying something new that's a little uncomfortable and a little different. And that piece is really, really critical. Yeah. Okay. And live more boldly. Live more boldly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Another good one. I love that yeah. one. How are you a shameless mom? You know, I struggled with this question because I'm like, well, what do I say? And I want to say that I put myself first now unapologetically. I had a lot of guilt as a new mom that literally took like seven years to shake off and I wouldn't put myself first. And I take care of myself better now and I don't feel guilty for it because the more I take care of myself and model what healthy living looks like, the more I have to give to my children. Yes. 
Yes, I agree. I love that. I think that an apologetic piece is really, really crucial. Yes. Thank you for pointing that out. That is a practice for me for sure, but (laughs) I've been working on. (laughs) Hey, I think that's true, not just for moms, but for women in general, we need to be more unapologetic because we could do a whole episode on apologizing. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) But yeah. And that conditioning is important because it is a conditioning. Yeah, it is. Totally. And it's it's a female (laughs) conditioning thing. Dudes don't go around apologizing all the time. Right, right. Okay, so Renee, before we do our Shameless Mommy Minute, where can we find you and where can we connect with you and find your resources? Sure. My website is www.withpause.com and Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at withpause. And then you can find me on LinkedIn under Renee Meddy. Awesome. Excellent. Thank you so much. Okay, so you ready for your Shameless Mommy Minute? I am. (laughs) What is your favorite way to treat yourself? Oh, the latest is a float tank. Oh, I've never done that. I've been wanting to. How do you love it? I love it. So it's a very sixty minute and a ninety minute, and okay, amazing. And it's a very small space, right? It is. It's like a bathtub. Okay. So for those not familiar, it's like a little tiny dunk tank, like the size of a bathtub, but then it also has like a lid on top, right? Yep. So you turn all the lights off, you close yourself in and there's a ton of Epsom salt in it. So you okay. get in and you literally just pop to the top, but you can sit up in there I okay. mean, if you tried. Right. And it's just, you can't hear anything. Your body becomes like, you can't feel the difference between the water and your skin. Oh my so gosh. You, it's amazing. Okay. You're confirming that I really need to try this. <laughs> I go to the one in Fremont too, which is okay near you. I okay. Think. Yeah. yeah. Yes. That's right near me. Okay. I'm totally yeah. going to check it out. That's my homework for next week. Absolutely. Um, what is the current book that you're reading or the last one you read? So I'm a lifelong learner. So I feel like I'm constantly reading. I read all nonfiction books. So I'm in. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I know it's like either business related or. So the two that I'm reading right now, one is for a class is what everybody is saying, which mm-hmm. is a body language book. And then Captivate by Vanessa Van Edwards is another body language book that just came out that is on my nightstand. So, What is one morning ritual you can't live without? My green smoothie. Nice. Yeah. Any any special ingredients you put in there? I put MCT oil, coconut oil, and almond coconut milk, a bag of Trader Joe's power greens, some broccoli sprouts, an avocado, some water, and ice. Yum. Yum, yum. Yeah. So good. Oh, and protein powder, whey, chocolate whey. Yum. Who is your biggest inspiration? Oh, I was trying to come up with one person (laughs) for this. And I was like, I was laughing at these questions because I'm like, she's going to be like one thing. And I have two for like everything. (laughs) That's Um, okay. (laughs) So, so many people, I mean, my husband, my parents, my children, a lot of my teachers, my personal trainer, the barista, it's like whoever I come into contact with, I really just shifted my perspective recently. Instead, I tend to be like a helper and a fixer. So instead of looking at people as broken, I've started looking at people like what is their potential. And so I just find inspiration in people I come into contact every day. And I'm so inspired by just people in general and people that are just living their life authentically, especially. That is such a great answer and different than anyone else has ever said. So very nice. Thank you. (laughs) If you could give all moms one superpower, what would it be and why? Compassion. I had several answers for this too, but I'm going to go with compassion. That's a good one. 
the ability to be able to parent or run a business and have that compassion with people that you come into contact with, because neither of those are very easy, right? You're mm-hmm. coming in with competition or judgment. So compassion for others and compassion for self. I love it. Awesome. Renee, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Your work is so amazing. And I've feel like it's going to really help so many of our moms. I know we have a lot of type A listeners, but I know it will really impact everyone. But I just feel like your message for people who have a strong desire to always like keep the pace super strong. um, Be on top. Yes. Yeah. I just think that this is like you have given us all permission to exhale a little bit. And I just really, really appreciate that. So thank you for joining us today and being on the show. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. We will talk again soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much for spending time in the Shameless Mom Academy with Renee and I today. Remember, any links mentioned today can be found in the show notes. So if you go to shamelessmom.com and click on episode 150, you will find all those links right there to help you out. If this is your first time joining us in the Shameless Mom Academy, know that there are new episodes every Monday and Wednesday, and you can never miss an episode if you subscribe to the show. So if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review, you can click on the subscribe button so that you get all of our episodes as soon as they are produced. You can also leave a review while you're there. So know that reviews are my ratings and my show gets spread more virally if you leave reviews and if I have a higher ranking show. So please do subscribe and review because that really does help the show grow and it really helps me spread the shameless love. And I appreciate it so, so much. Just even a couple sentences in a review makes a huge difference and really is it's such a treat for me to go into my reviews and get feedback from you guys. So I appreciate that. And I thank you in advance for taking just a minute to do that. Again, you can go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review to subscribe and review. I hope you learned something new today. I hope you can start putting little micro practices into place today. There's no need to wait and have a fantastic day. Come back again for our next episode in just a few days. And until then, no matter what you do, make sure you do it shamelessly. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.